Frank Reich. He didn't quite last a thousand years. shop for news views and your overreactions of all things nfl it's week nine and it turns out everyone's a fraud so hello it's a bit different today in terms of the voices you're hearing so this is sean because connor's not with us today but i also have with me ronan hello so how are things ronan how's your week been not too bad met up with yourself at the weekend to watch ireland beat the the world champions at africans and the old rugby it's good to see just tipping away at work and a few two two different projects but uh, mostly looking forward to this weekend as we uh, head off to munich and see if we can grab some of those golden tickets for the game. Awesome, the, the 350,000 other people looking for tickets. Yeah, much the same with our friend Mike down for a Friday night. So we had Indians and beers and chats. Watched Ireland beat South Africa. And then, yeah, mostly other dog stuff. There's a lot of dog stuff still ongoing. Do virtual training, which is like z- z- training over Zoom, which is, I don't know. It seems like a lockdown thing that probably should have been given up a long time ago. But, uh, Can you not just put the dog in front of the laptop screen and let them go away <laughs> themselves? Well, you have to you have to do things. It's all about how the humans are interacting. So you have to like set up a, a blanket thing and then just kind of drop treats so they'll sit on the blanket and stuff. And it's like, it felt pretty basic compared to, we're doing another live one, which felt a bit more substantial. Dogs can never get enough training is what I'm learning. Anyway, so let's get going. Even though we have bye weeks and thus not a lot of games, there is still some news and other things to get through first. So first thing in terms of main news, the big story is the end of the reign of Frank Reich. He didn't quite last a thousand years in the end, <laughs> Indianapolis. I was wondering what kind of tasteful joke you're going to make because like, that could go quite wrong. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, he lasted four seasons, a couple of playoff runs, but awful 2022, lowest points per game. Some pretty terrible quarterback play, a, a, a dumping of Matt Ryan, non-existent rush game despite having one of theoretically one of the best running backs in the game. Jeff Saturday, the the longtime Colts center, twelve years as Colts center, has been named interim head coach. His previous coaching experience, I looked into it, it was three years as high school coach of Hebron Christian Academy, which definitely prepares you for the NFL. So that kind of feels like a stopgap to the end of the season kind of thing. Reich finishes with a 40-33-1 record, the 1-2 and two in the playoffs. Solid play on both sides of the ball, but punctuated by a QB carousel. They obviously, the post-Andrew Luck era of the Colts in terms of the quarterback isn't going so well. Tried Carson Wentz and that didn't work out so well. They tried Matt Ryan that didn't even last the entire season. So now they're going with Erlinger, the no-name rookie. And also some occasional collapses. They The big one being the fact that they threw away a playoff shot last season by losing to the Jags. Uh, in week 18 so so a decent record but ultimately perhaps he didn't live up to the potential of what this Colts team could be to a certain extent he's been very unlucky here I think you know quarterback is the most important position and basically ever since he's got there it's been a carousel he obviously was brought in at a time where Andrew Luck had come off multiple years injured and stuff like that and Andrew Luck came back and actually looked like Andrew Luck Reich had a really good year with him and then he fucking retires, and the next, and since then it's just been chaos. Like there's been punctuations with some moments where it's been okay. Philip Rivers was there; it was grand, but it's also been punctuated by long stretches of terrible quarterback play. Probably the low light has been this year, where Matt Ryan and Sam Englinger just look completely lost. As well as in particular because that offensive line just for whatever reason has completely dropped off a cliff, and that means that the run game isn't there to kind of shelter quarterback either at the beginning of their career or just you know a backup level quarterback. So for Reich, 
what we're seeing is that you know your destiny is often entwined with the personnel available. And I think given the constraints that he's operated within, him and the GM Ballard have done a solid job of putting in their solid rosters, but just never ones that took that next level because of the quarterback position. Or at least that's certainly a fair interpretation of what happened. But ultimately, when you don't get the rings, when you kind of make the playoffs in patchy in a patchy sense, having a forty to thirty three in one record is grand, but you know, the NFL is not a particularly romantic league and you need to do more, even though I believe the owner, Jim Irsay, said that he's only ever hired coaches with winning record. Uh, he was using that to justify his hire of Jeff Saturday, which is probably the, the higher firing of Frank Reich. I get it. It's a tough situation. you got to move on. I'm not sure if it's the right move. I could see Frank Reich sitting elsewhere, but it is what it is. It's the NFL. However, the hiring of Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach is just somewhat inexplicable. As you say, has zero experience as a head coach, even at the college level, like at the high school experience. And I think they had a losing record in the final season he coached them. So you're talking about a guy here who's just simply a name. And this is particularly perplexing because I don't think they have anyone on that coaching staff left who has any experience as a play caller. So that's a pretty big hole to have to play fill in terms of getting that offense to be at least somewhat resembling an NFL offense and getting off the mat. The defense will probably be fine under Bradley. You know, the offense has been awful. And if you don't have anyone controlling it, then you're really just hoping that, like, you know, Ellinger comes in and, and kind of finds something. I think in that case, I know you just made the change from Matt Ryan a few weeks ago, but if you're going to have no one doing it, you might as well have a veteran quarterback who might actually at least be able to build something for you. So don't be surprised if Ryan is brought back in for another sad cameo as the season goes on. And I think for me, the precedent of Ursay getting more involved in the coaching uh, decisions, like he was the one who basically decided to shit can Carson Wentz last year. He's very strongly involved in some of the other coaching personnel changes they've made earlier this year. That's not usually a good sign. Ursay seems like a good dude compared to some of the other owners in the league, but uh, as we'll probably talk about in the moment, as a you know, in terms of decision making, the best teams outsource the running of teams to people who know what they're doing. So the Indianapolis may be in for choppier waters than they've been used to, uh, given the Peyton era and then the uh, relatively solid Reich era and that one year in between where they uh, sucked to get Andrew Luck. So yeah, I'm not sure about Indianapolis overall. I think Frank Reich will be grand in the long scheme of things, either as an OC or maybe in HD in the near future. The, the Ursa thing is is interesting in the sense that obviously he's the guy who's going to be there long term and then. Presumably, they're going to get into a more serious coach than Jeff Saturday at some point in the future. And whether that person will have to deal with a, a, a meddling owner is a, is now a question mark over the organization. The right thing, I mean, you could you could talk about 40 and 33 being a decent record, but they are in a pretty weak division. And one feels they never really lived up to their potential. It's perhaps a little bit harsh, but this, especially this season, they, they were going north. Speaking of owners who should probably keep their hands off of things, uh, reports, um, this is the crime and punishment section, reports that the Attorney General has opened official investigation into Washington for financial impropriety. This obviously comes on top of the endless Dan Snyder stuff and the, the, the rumors that they are, they are selling up. So this uh, story relates to testimony from former VP of sales alleging ticket sales were reallocated to concerts and college games. I believe some way of escaping the revenue sharing rules the NFL have. There are also difficulties created for season ticket holders to get deposit refunds. So uh, financial sketchiness uh, and money being essentially squirreled away that the NFL doesn't know about uh, not not being able to, to get access to. The commanders have dismissed the allegations from this guy Friedman as just a disgruntled former employee and have claimed ESPN have mischaracterized the nature of the investigation. But it's worth noting, of course, there are other investigations ongoing and that they were fined $10 million last season for a very toxic workplace culture. On the sale rumors, there is a potential possible 
Uh, Jeff Bezos plus celebrity add-ons, Jay-Z and Matt, Matthew McConaughey bidding for the franchise. This, so far, those are just rumors. So this is just par for the course for Washington. We, we kind of expected it from this from them at this point, yeah? Yeah, like we've been kind of rummaging through the entrails of this Washington scandal for you know nearly a year at this point. Obviously, the financial impropriety angle came in earlier this year, but it's interesting to hear that there's now, you know, you know, fairly substantial high-level people investigating this and officially putting uh, Dan Snyder on the spot. And as you say, with a recent announcement that the Washington team is looking to make a sale, whether that be of the team in whole or of a part of the team, I think it looks more like the former at the moment. Those things all seem to be rather linked. And uh, for a team that's always been known for its rather murky decision-making, don't be surprised if this continues to kind of pop up every once in a while. Moving on then to transactions, only one big one in the, in the, the post-trade deadline lull, only one to talk about an extension for Bradley Chubb, the edge rusher for the Miami Dolphins, who, as we talked about last week, was traded from the Denver Broncos. He had, I believe, only a year left in his contract, and now he's getting five years and $119 million. So decent business then for the Dolphins in terms of getting down a very important piece long-term. Obviously, I think they've also done long-term deals for people like Tyreek Hill as well. There's definitely a seriousness in the Dolphins' terms to try to build something and, and keep the pieces that they think are, are important. Once you traded the first-round pick for this guy, then we usually know that the extension is going to follow one way or the other. Miami here have chosen to do the business early. You know, the deal is pretty expensive, but it, it's within the kind of parameters of the deals that exist in the NFL. He's not the highest-paid edge rusher in the league. Given the inflation happens in NFL contracts, this will probably be seen as fine if he works out overall and continues to be a productive edge rusher. It's too early in his career to tell if he's going to work out or not, but one imagines with that level of talent that they will do so. Then finally, in terms of injuries, I'm just going to run through all these and we can kind of talk about which ones are most important or interesting to mention. So in terms of the important or the season enders, Green Bay have lost a whole lot of players that they probably can't afford to lose. Uh, Ed Rusher, Rashan Gary's ACL is gone. He's out for the season. And on the offensive side, wide receiver Romeo Dobbs has done his ankle four to six weeks. He was probably the most productive their rookie wide receivers. And also Christian Watson, he of the numerous dropped passes as concussion and is week to week. New Orleans Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas uh, is out with a toe injury for the season. He is quite injury prone, I believe. And also wide receiver Rashad Bateman of the Baltimore Ravens has a Lisfranc injury, which I looked up and apparently some sort of midfoot bone thing. And he is out also for the season. Less season ending, hopefully for the, the team supporting these, uh, the, the fans supporting these teams. Uh, Buffalo QB Josh Allen has a, an elbow issue. He's expected to play through it. They've also uh, have issues with edge rusher Gregor Russo and an ankle injury um, week to week. And the New York Giants safeties Xavier McKinney has a hand injury. He's out for two to six weeks. So starting with the Packers, this is obviously not what this team needs when they're their season is already in meltdown, uh, especially when their receiving core is just not performing for Aaron Rodgers at all. Obviously, it's a wide receiver room that wasn't particularly deep to begin with. This means that you'll probably end up relying on like Sammy Watkins being your wide receiver one. That's not particularly a situation you want to be in, especially for a guy who doesn't seem to even know which route he's supposed to be running half the time <laughs> um, with Aaron Rodgers. But Rashawn Gary, he's been a stud the last couple of years for Green Bay. He's been down this year, but the entire defense is down, so I don't know how much you can blame him individually. But losing him certainly means that, that defense, which is kind of underwhelmed overall this season, takes another step back. And look, I'm, I'm pretty much ready to say that Green Bay are done. 
and I don't think they're going to be a factor for the rest of the season in terms of the playoffs. But like losing two young players that you want to develop is still a loss. Michael Thomas, yeah, like it's just been an ongoing saga. Like they kind of never put him on IR for the entirety of the first two months of the season, even though he, he hasn't really played like a week or two. It's just going to be like uncertain in her time. But now it gets confirmed that he won't be playing this season. It's a bit unfortunate for New Orleans, but they have Chris Olave. He's looking pretty solid as the new wide receiver one. Jarvis Landry might start playing for them again. And it's really a team that runs through Alvin Kamara at the moment anyway, as long as they keep playing Andy Dalton. And Rashad Bateman, yeah, this is a guy that hopefully was they were hoping that was going to make a big step up this year. Looked solid in the first couple of weeks of the season, but now gone. And then you're really just down to like Devin Duvernay. Mm. And I suppose Deshaun Jackson showed up. And uh, well done on the Liz Frank look up, Sean. You're li- really living <laughs> up to the uh, Dr. Butler uh, tag that you uh, have earned so hard. But like, look, the, like the big one in terms of actual, especially in terms of super relevance, is obviously Josh Allen. It's an elbow injury. He threw a bomb, like uh, like a play after the getting the injury. But we know like adrenaline and stuff like that can affect that. But if he was to miss any time, Buffalo would be in deep, deep trouble, you would imagine. And Gregory Russo is an important uh, player for them on that defensive line, which has been dominant this year. So for them, the big thing is that they're lucky that neither of these are significant injuries. And I would imagine that even though, obviously, Buffalo do have important games and they're in a very tough division, you know, uh, I think Allen will play no matter what, just because, you know, he's Josh Allen. I don't think he's al- he can allow himself to not play. But, you know, maybe the team should keep an eye on it. As for McKinney, it's kind of unfortunate to lose a player on your bye week. That's just bad timing. And, you know, it's, it's the one thing you don't want to happen. He's a solid contributor for a good defense there in the Giants, or surprisingly good defense at least. And so that's just, sometimes shit happens, I suppose. Uh, but keep an eye on the Allen situation. That's probably the big one this week. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty standard in, in the NFL to have your star quarterback play if he can, even if injured. It can sometimes reduce productivity. It depends on the nature of injury, and sometimes it can't. I mean, the, the Baker Mayfield saga last year with the Browns where he was trying to play to an injury and as a result probably lost his starting job because he wasn't good enough uh, is the kind of one end of the spectrum. But we've also, you know, players like Joe Burrows playing through injuries, Mahomes plays through. I mean, it seems to be a, a league where where you, you play hurt, there is a diff- you have to know the difference between playing hurt and playing injured. And as long as Allen stays on that side of the ledger, he's, he should be fine. But it, yeah, it will be interesting to see if there's A, a drop off in his productivity, which obviously the Bills, who are now fighting, as we'll see, to keep hold of their number one seeding in the AFC, are going to need everything they can get from him. Uh, and if he is dropped out, I mean, who's even the backup QB that they have there? Is it Case Keenum? Yeah, Case Keenum, who's not terrible. I mean, he's not what you want for any kind of long-term playoff run, but he's not a bad option given the other t- options some teams uh, have. So that's it in terms of news. Obviously, a, a quiet week now that we've got through the trade deadline. And uh, from now on, it will probably be mostly injuries that are, that are going to be dominating the news. So we'll move on then to the Week 9 games. Game one, Buffalo Bills at New York Jets, 17-20. to The Jets step up when it matters and get the shock win. Sauce Gardner quickly becoming a legend in his own lifetime shuts down Gabriel Davis on the final heave to give them the win. They can give thanks to effective rushing, 27 uh, for 141 yards and a touchdown and a good defense, two interceptions, five sacks, uh, three tackle for loss, only three points for this allegedly superior Bills uh, in the second half, forcing Allen into mistakes. Uh, He had 205, two interceptions. He also had 85 and two touchdowns uh, rushing on the ground, but not one of his better games and kept some quiet late. Wilson had 154 yards and touchdown was solid, uh, avoiding mistakes against a solid Buffalo defense. For me, I think this is the kind of the breakout moment for this New York Jets team. We've been talking about them for weeks and weeks about being a, a really 
interesting team that Robert Sala is building something something greater, a wonderful team spirit and a lot of very young pieces. But obviously last week, the disaster against the, the Pats where they just got completely shut down in the second half. They didn't seem to, to turn up whatsoever. They come into this game against another big divisional rival and they kind of have to, to step up and they did. I think this is a huge, going to be a big psychological win because this tells the Jets that they can compete at the very top uh, edge because the Bills probably are still the best team in the NFL. The very top edge of the NFL, they competed and they won. The big news for me is the young players that the, the Jets have. Obviously, Garrett Wilson, really solid. Buck 50, uh, he looks a real prospect. They've got Sauce Gardner on the other side. Obviously, they've, they've got the, the injured running back to come back as well. Zach Wilson's probably not the answer at quarterback, although he avoided the mistakes that he made against the Pats this time. And maybe he's going to be, he can be enough to kind of just do what has to be done at the quarterback uh, situation to, to pull them into the playoffs. But what's exciting about this Jets team is this is a young and developing team. It feels it's just going to get better and better with age. I mean, you just have to look at the defensive improvements, I think, under Robert Sala. It's amazing how quickly this defense has gone from completely shocking to being actually quite good at the top level. Uh, and they really fight for them too. And they seem, even in the absence uh, of Hall, seem to have some running game successes. So, I mean, huge win for the Jets. Hats off to them. Uh, you got to give them props where it is. In terms of the Bills, I mean, it's another question mark. It's just like the Dolphins game. It's like, we're not quite sure if this Bills team has has the, what it needs to win a championship. They're obviously very talented on both sides of the ball. And when they play at their very best, they are just untouchable in the NFL. But they do seem to have an awful lot of off games like these or, you know, talk about the Jacksonville game at the back end uh, of last season. That they're, they're a team that tends sometimes not to turn up and you wonder if they maybe lack the, the killer instinct of championship teams there's also perhaps a little bit of worry about seeing the seeds of the old Josh Allen, a guy who makes mistakes when it matters, who gives other teams opportunities with those interceptions. So there's some question marks of the Bills, perhaps not quite into fraud territory yet because it's still a very talented team who will be hard to beat. But more question marks than, than perhaps we expected after they had such a fast start to the season. And for the Jets, I mean, the, the ceiling is is so high on this team. Who knows where they can go? They, they certainly look like a playoff-capable team. And they will certainly be a team that no one particularly wants to play in the playoffs because they, they always fight to the bitter end and they never give up and they would be a nightmare to, to have to play. What you kind of saw was a difference in, in attitude. Like the Jets obviously had such a, a gut-wrenching loss against New England where they just kind of suffocated them out of it. Such a demoralizing way to lose the Bill Belichick and kind of sometimes worry about Jets teams in the past that they would just collapse in themselves and the whole thing would come off the road because Brees Hall went out and, you know, the Jets Zach Wilson would just turn into a turnover machine. And the Bills obviously coming into a game where they see a rival, you know, suffering and you expect them to come in and, you know, euthanize them to some extent, I suppose. But I think almost the Bills kind of, it felt like they almost played into that because the Bills were very casual in this game. That includes Josh Allen, like that first interception in the red zone. He just didn't see the guy, he just kind of threw it out there. Easy pick for the uh, the safety, Jordan Whitehead. Um, the pick to uh, Sauce Gardner. That's just was a miscommunication by Gabe Davis, who is a really explosive player, but is also prone to dropping the ball, is also prone to not making mistakes. Like He's obviously explosive enough to make up for it, but he's not quite the guy you would want to be your wide receiver to in an ideal world. Like You're paying Stefan Diggs all that money, so you know, you're know you going to have to cut back a little bit in terms of budget on the rest of the, the, the offensive weapons. But Gabe Davis, explosive enough to be like a wide receiver three, ideally, but he's a wide receiver two here, and the rest of the wide receivers aren't stepping up. Isaiah McKenzie's been a non-factor, and guys like Kumaro as well are still out there. So you know, a little bit of an issue there, and the, and the running back throwing thing has never really worked out with Josh Allen. So you know, Josh Allen, a little bit casual in this game, a little bit prone to mistakes, 
and you have to be a little bit concerned about that especially now picking up a minor injury but you did also see the other side of Josh Allen like the 86 yards rushing and the two touchdowns when they were in key situations and particularly in the back half of this game where he was really being made to work for get every yard he was getting outside the pocket and you saw that what a unique monster of a player he is like that kind of Cam Newton level threat on the ground so even in a bad game like this you still saw the flashes of why Josh Allen is considered to be an MVP all pro type quarterback but I think for me the big thing is the Jets came here with the right attitude like Zach Wilson kept it safe didn't make any mistakes didn't make the turnovers the things which basically cost against New England where those three interceptions ended up being why New England won that game easily he he put that down and they went back to the run game. Michael Carter uh, and James Robinson combined for most of the yardage here, and that's good to see. Zach Wilson threw in a few nice little runs himself as well, to be fair. I, I realise that Brees Hall is a stud, and that's why when Brees Hall runs, it can go for like a 70-yard touchdown, but the blocking up front from the offensive line has been solid. That's why the run game has been able to get out decent yardage, regardless of Brees Hall's like explosive runs that kind of pump up the stats. So I think it's good to see that Michael Carter and James Robinson were able to get a job done, especially against a defensive line like Buffalo have with like Von Miller and Ed Oliver and guys like that. And the run game, therefore, puts them on their back heels, means that they couldn't get too explo- they couldn't get too aggressive and get, you know, put in their ears back and get at Zach Wilson. So that kept things controlled and then the Jets defense is really turning into a major factor here like when I was thinking about this game the big thing I was wondering was would this young secondary be able to shut down this wide receiver core in particular Stefan Diggs and while Diggs got his shots in particularly early uh, going for 93 yards but most of that really on the first on the first drive Sauce Gardner DJ Reed these guys are like looking like a, another legion of boom type cornerback pairing Jordan Whitehead got an interception in this game and they're getting solid production at the rest of the team uh, you're seeing guys like CJ Mosley getting back into form after being injured so much over recent years pass rusher Jermaine Johnson got in a sack here he looked pretty solid and was harassing uh, I think he harassed Allen in that final uh, throw that ended up being uh, you know stopped off like I think when you have a young defense and Salah's finally getting his I suppose vision of what this defense could be together you have to get excited Look, if Brees Hall was in this team, I would be really, really excited. But even given this, I think this looks like a playoff team. I'd wonder if they can go further than that. But I think given where they were expected to be early in the season, I'm sure they would take that right now. And this is a huge win to kind of get that good vibes back and give them the platform they need to get uh, back on uh, the winning track. And I think that their next game might be against New England in the rematch in a couple of weeks. So uh, that'll be a tasty one to keep an eye out for. Yeah, they, they they are after the bye going against the Pats. Uh, and I think the general consensus of the Jets fan base is that it's a year earlier maybe than they expected, but this team is definitely building something very exciting going on there. All our Jets fans listeners can can be can be glad that the, the era of hurt might finally be over and you might have a couple of years of success. Next up, we have Sunday Night Football, Tennessee Titans at the Kansas City Chiefs, 20-17 to to the Chiefs in overtime. Pat Mahomes is Pat Mahomes. Magic at the end on, on building upon a, a 446-yard game. Touchdown interception, also 63 yards on the ground. He was the rushing leader for the Chiefs in that. The, the Chiefs got a few lucky flags, especially a, a two-pointer late. But Mahomes plus, you know, just general Chiefs quality eventually has to overcome a really interesting and rock-solid Tennessee team. Reliant on Henry, another another plus 100-yard games, 115 and two touchdowns, and a hard-working defense an interception, four sacks and four tackles for loss. With Malik Willis in for the, the injured Ryan Tannehill, having about 120 yards, maybe not stepping up when he was needed, especially when the game was, was 
in the balance. They had a 79 halftime lead, but they they slipped once the the KC defense kind of st- stiffened the, the challenge, and Wills was not up to it. Ryan Downhill may actually have been missed in this one, which which is uh, you know a real a real novelty for uh, NFL fans. A bit of, a bit of a rare one for the NFL season uh, this season. Two good teams playing in, in prime time, Roman. The big thing for this is it kind of followed the usual Tennessee Titans like template. They look solid, they run the ball well, they play their defense, they get into a lead, and then they just kind of stop, and then the other team is allowed to, you know, slowly work their way in, and more often than not this season, they've gotten away with it, but, you know, we saw in week one, they lost to the Giants in bad scenario, and when you're playing against the Chiefs, I'm not really sure that waiting for uh, Patrick Mahomes to find himself is really the best strategy. More often than not, Patrick Mahomes is going to find a way, and even though he had a frustrating night, I believe, like, the interception... Well, I think Kelsey was even more frustrated at the interception than he threw off his helmet, though no flag, because he's not DJ Moore, apparently. They, like, they eventually got it going. Like, Patrick Mahomes, over, like, nearly 450 yards, he gets the touchdown when it matters down the stretch. And I think, in particular, when he saw this game come down to the wire, when they needed to get a touchdown, not only was Patrick Mahomes willing to throw the ball, but he was willing to put his body on the line and get those rushing yards. And, you know, he had two spectacular rushes on that final touchdown drive that you know, kept that momentum going. And then, yeah, on the two-point conversion, I'll be honest, like, it was a bit, I think it was like three or two or three penalty uh, things in a row, some of which Tennessee fans might debate about. But in the end, they get it done and they get they tie this game up. But, like, look, they had interception, they had missed field goals. Like, Kansas City, they were made to work hard and they were a little bit sloppy themselves. But fair play to the Tennessee defense. We know this defensive line is one of the best in the league, led by Jeffrey Simmons. And so they did everything that they could to keep it going. And in the first half, it looked like it was working, especially when Derrick Henry was getting all of those yards. But Malik Willis, you know, he's not ready. He, he, you know, put him back in the oven or back on the bench or whatever your analogy wants to be. Like, he can rush well. He had, like, eight eight scrambles for 40 yards, but he cannot throw the ball. He has no anticipation. And even against a, you know, solid Kansas City defense, he looked completely lost. He was lost last week when they basically just ran Derrick Henry to beat the Texans. So I think Ryan Tannehill is missed. Like, Tannehill isn't the best in the world, but at least he gets the ball out to the guys. And look, to be fair, like, he's not exactly playing with studs in terms of receivers. Like, Robert Woods was missing in action here. He didn't have a single reception to a wide receiver here. It all went to either tight ends or running backs. And so it's kind of a situation where Tennessee knew what they have. And to be fair to Mike Vrabel, he's not, like, much like his, uh, you know, influence, uh, Bill Belichick, perfectly happy to play ugly games if he thinks it'll win him a game. And it nearly came together here that Tennessee Titans got another regular season win over the Chiefs. I think for the Chiefs, you do have to be a little bit concerned that the run game has basically gone disappear at a disappearing act in recent years. But like, look, when you have Patrick Mahomes, sometimes you're just going to have to put this guy on the pedestal and make him get over 500 yards in total and do the entire thing himself. His relationship with Kelsey is obviously working. And I think the most promising thing on the offense probably in recent weeks is that the relationship with Juju Smith-Schuster has really come along. He's been uh, playing really well in recent weeks. He had 10 receptions for 88 yards. He's not the most explosive player, but I think having that additional short reliable option in addition to Kelsey just diversifies them a little bit more and make sure that maybe the occasional deep play to Hardman or uh, I think Gray had a nice uh, kind of explosive play from the tight end position as well yeah I think for the Chiefs you know they say championship teams win tough matches and this is a huge win for them because it puts them I believe joint top across the AFC rankings and this is a team that obviously really wants to get that by if they can get it uh, for the Titans I think they can take away with pride here I think they're obviously well in control of their division but maybe their dreams of getting another unusual number one seed is probably taken away by this loss. The stats of this game are, are so strange. The Titans end up with only less than half the yards, total yards, that the Chiefs ended up with. 499 total offensive yards for the Chiefs. 
229 for the Titans. And you're wondering, how does this game get to overtime? Malik Willis, 5 of 16 for 80 yards. Okay, Derrick Henry put in 115 yards. But, I mean, offensively, the Titans were, were almost non-existent. And yet, they kind of come out of this game as the more interesting story, I felt. I mean, you, you, you look at this defense and you go, this is this is an interesting, tough defense. They really tried to turn this game into, into a street fight. I thought they were they were very aggressive. They caused a lot of problems for Mahomes, kind of forced him to be the superstar to win this. I mean, any other quarterback in the league maybe might have struggled to deal with how good the Titans' defense seemed to look at, at certain points. Um, and for the credit for that, I think has to go to Mike Vrabel. I mean, he's really quietly built a very interesting defensive unit here. And it, it feels to me, we talk about the Belichick tree and, and the, the various coaches that have come out of New England and their failures. It seems to me maybe Vrabel is the natural successor to Belichick, the one guy who actually listened to what Bill was trying to teach him about defense. And it's interesting that Vrabel was a player, not a coach. And maybe the yeah. fact that the the knowledge transmitted a little bit better from Belichick to players than it did to his fellow coaches. But he makes his teams much better. They were very interesting on the defensive side. Obviously, offense, huge problems here. Willis is very raw. Uh, and, you know, you can't, there's, there's only so much you can rely uh, on Derrick Henry to do things. So for yeah. the, the Titans, we're left with this question. They're solid and reliable. They look very interesting in terms of the defense. Some good coaching, but can they make that big leap to the next level i think it's interesting you mentioned that obviously he never coached under belichick and you know when you think about it like i know belichick's reputation is as a hard ass and a, a dickhead and stuff like that but players love belichick like they only have positive well the ones who work out anyway have positive things to say <laughs> about him so it's interesting that the guy who played under belichick but never coached him gets that belichick the whole being an asshole thing isn't why belichick is a great coach it's because he's obviously a really understands football at a deep level but also understands that he needs to have a deep understanding and relationship with his players and Vrabel definitely has that I think there was a clip with him with centre Ben Jones last week where he was supporting him um, after, after, when he played through an injury that's the extra factor for maybe why Mike Vrabel is succeeding where some of the other acolytes have failed with you know pencils behind their ears and other stuff <laughs> yeah no it's definitely one to keep an eye on in terms of, of this Bellatrix so-called Bellatrix tree Vrabel does seem to be, I mean, he's quietly building a very good team and a lot of it is, is coaching. In terms of the Chiefs, I mean, it's, it's an odd one in terms of how they won this game. Obviously, 68 pass attempts versus, I think it was something like 15 on, on the ground. It's very pass, basically, they just gave up on the running game very quickly and then decided to turn this entire game over to, to Pat Mahomes. And it worked out, but again, you'd wonder about sustainability. Obviously, if they want to compete at the very highest level of the AFC, they're probably going to need a bit more of a run game. And they did have parts of it earlier in the season but it has seemed to to have gone away in the last few weeks so, so you'd wonder with the Chiefs I mean I've always said that they are a team that's evolving as the season goes on and that this is how they, they they've solved problems as things progress and they get very good near the end of the season it still feels a little bit like they're a work in progress but they're a work in progress at a six and two joint top of the AFC uh, and looking at another potential number one seed if they can potentially get ahead of the Bills uh, in terms uh, of the record because obviously the Bills have the uh, the tiebreaker in terms um, of the victory but again in Interesting to look at two contending teams in the AFC, both with a lot of potential going forward. Next up then, two teams, one AFC and one NFC teams who are probably looking like playoff teams but maybe not exactly uh, contenders. The, the LA Chargers against the Atlanta Falcons, the, the ultimate Chargering versus Falconing game. The Chargers somehow get out of there with a win 20-17 to 17, uh, on a, a last-second a field goal. The real moment of this to remember and the one that will probably make it into the YouTube clips is the, the double fumble where the, the Chargers 
fumbled the ball on a crucial final drive, but then the the, the Atlanta defender fumbled it right back to, to give uh, Herbert one last chance. He threw the ball into field goal range and allowed their 22 going on 12 kicker, Cameron Dicker, I think his name is, to come out with a 37-yard field goal uh, to win the game. Credit to Austin Eckler. He had 71 yards and touchdown, but nearly had the most amazing touchdown I've ever seen, except the fact that his elbow grazed the ground uh, at one point during it. Palmer led the wide receivers with 106. Uh, for the Falcons, Mariota was very meh, as, as is Mariota. He had 153 yards uh, as they leaned heavily on the run game. Uh, and the late turnovers uh, were costly. It's a game not to be particular, not to leave one particularly enamored with either of these two teams. Both of them, the Chargers are playing down to way below their talent level. The Falcons are playing up way above their talent level, but both of them end up being uh, quite uh, mediocre. The Chargers, I mean, I, it's very hard to know what it is about this team's culture, whatever. They started the season so strongly. They look very good, both sides of the ball. And you kind of felt that this team was finally coming together after a number of years that the, finally the Chargers were going to be competitive. Then a couple of key injuries, and they just haven't been able to get their, their season really clicking. Now, that said, they're 5-3, and three, and therefore that they actually, you know, that they're very live and they're only a game behind the Chiefs and everything. But it sure doesn't feel like this team is a contender whatsoever. With the Chargers, the highs are very high and the lows are very low. Obviously, Herbert continues to be the man, 245 yards in this game. He can't step up when it counts, but there just seems to be always a number of errors in his team when it happens. And Austin Eckler, I mean, God, sometimes you just wish the rule, the NFL wasn't such a stickler of a rules league. I mean, an incredible athletic play to keep himself uh, what he thought was live after after a pretty good tackle by the Falcons to, to run it in for the touchdown, only to be wiped out by, by some random camera angle. I did have a sense that the replay guys were just could not believe the possibility of what he'd just done and kept looking at replay angles till they found something. Yeah, body angles that looked like they more came from a horror film, where like the, the they're <laughs> crawling on all fours or something like that. I mean, the NFL is is a great league for random athletic feats, but that one was one of the best I've ever seen, and it's a shame that didn't count. And Go I think on. for Mario, that the big thing was that missed touchdown to Kyle Pitts oh, late on that could God, have won this game. Yes. Like that just seemed indicative of where Atlanta are right now. Like they're fine, they run the ball well, their defense is pretty bad, but not the worst in the league. But Mario, that there, they're not. Like they could win the NFC South because it's so terrible, but they're not going any further than. Yeah, no, he's he's just he's just not an NFL caliber starting quarterback, and I think the thing about him is this was discovered about him a number of years ago, and he's just one of these quarterbacks that's hung around as a backup until finally a team was willing him to get him a chance. That miss of Kyle Pitts, it was like he missed him by a clear three or four yards, like it it was a pretty bad overthrow, and it could have gotten the win for the Falcons. I mean, it's. It's a very odd, odd place the Falcons are because they're obviously still competitive and they're they've got a good chance of making the playoffs, but they don't look at they look pretty terrible on the defensive side and on the offensive side there's just very little outside of the occasional Cordell Patterson you know fancy play or, or Kyle Pitts's potential. There's very little to be get excited about and yet still they're relevant. Yet still they almost beat a very talented team here. So it's it's just it's just and the epitome of what is a very strange NFL season that the Falcons are are still relevant and vaguely interesting, hopefully for uh, not too much uh, longer. Next game up, uh, Miami Dolphins against the Chicago Bears. Dolphins, obviously, playoff competitor. The Chicago Bears, we thought were dead, but apparently they figured out how to, to use Justin Fields. So 35 to 32, the Dolphins uh, here. They edge uh, a kind of a, a, a track meet kind of a game, thanks to Tua, with 302 yards and three touchdowns finding a hill 
uh, who had 143 yards of touchdown and Waddle 81 yards of touchdown again. Obviously, that 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 combo is what they're t- building their entire season around. Also, uh, a a punt block TV and eventually finding a way to stop the Chicago uh, offense or the question marks over its legality. But the big story for me coming out of this game is Justin Fields really coming into his own. You get a sense that he's they finally either the coaches have finally figured out how to use him or he's finally figured out how to how to work at the NFL level. He had passing 123 yards and three touchdowns, but the bigger story is on the side, 178 yards of rushing plus a touchdown, breaking the, the quarterback rush record. It's over to you, Lamar Jackson, to, to, there's a new standard to, to come up against. He seems born anew in a new look offense, but on the defensive side, obviously depleted by the trades that they've had, is a big problem for them. They, they got taken to cleaners all day, no sacks and no tackles for loss, giving up about 400 yards of offense. Obviously, the Bears, now they've got their offense working. It's a shame that they completely decimated their, their defense a few weeks ago. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, that's just such a... <laughs> it's so kind of dumb, right? Like, they like their offense suddenly looks amazing. Obviously, that they beat New England recently. They looked good last week. And now they take on Miami. And Fields just looked unstoppable. Like, look, he looked effective in the in the past game. He had one touchdown that was particularly nice to uh, St. Brown, I believe, in the red zone. So, he, he is developing as a passer but that's really opening up because the run game is so dominant right now and unlike in previous weeks where you know he the really effective part of the run game was really being Montgomery and Herbert grinding at the tough yards in this game it was just like Justin Fields would get to the edge of the pocket and he would go oh look at all this yardage and then just scramble for 30 40 50 60 yards just absolutely annihilating this Miami defense time after time I think Mike McDaniel the Miami coach literally made a comment to him on the sideline when he came into the Miami area saying could you just stop rushing please and then joked after <laughs> Afterwards, that uh, he did not follow that advice and thus kept this as a close game. And you know, this is a game where you know it was decided by three points, and Miami got a free TD off a punt block. So you know, you could say that you know, on terms of what they put on the field, Chicago were the better team. Like I'm really, really happy to see it because Chicago were just so dejected last year and certainly early this year. And to just see them be exciting and fun, if you're a Chicago fan, to actually see good quarterback play, which notoriously Chicago fans haven't had uh, pretty much ever. Jake Cutler is maybe the last time they had reasonable QB play you could argue but to see him blossom like this it's amazing to see I think we're all really excited to see where this goes and uh, you know as that run game becomes this explosive I would imagine that you'll get more one-on-one looks for guys like Darnell Mooney Chase Claypool Cole Komet um, to make more yards going forward so I think the run will always be the center part but the pass game should open up because this run game has to you know generate respect at this point and so I expect to see that uh, get even more interesting going forward now maybe there's a schematic thing like, like we saw Kaepernick back today where teams will adjust and take this stuff away but right now uh, you know when Bill Belichick was surprised by it uh, in the first week this turned out and teams are getting destroyed in subsequent weeks then you know for now it's all good vibes on that side as for the defense you know you trade away Robert Quinn you trade away uh, Roquan Smith and the defense looks shit <laughs> it hasn't been great this year but it looked absolutely awful here now to be fair this Miami offense is explosive they got a lot of yards but even given that um, it truly didn't look like it had any X factors really left they have a few solid players in the secondary but that's really about it right now and that just meant that Tua had another week where he was just able to find Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and they combined for you know 220 yards two touchdowns and it just looked like Tua if he needed to in this game because they were up towards the end of this game there was a few more punts towards the end if they needed to go back to the explosive play they were willing to do it but instead I think they leaned a little bit on the new entrant Jeff Wilson and he was pretty solid in in the rushing attack uh, towards the end of this game so that was a decent trade for them I suppose 
So I think for Miami, look, it wasn't a, a win that tells you, oh, this is a you know unstoppable force like say the Eagles or as was most weeks Bills, but it does show what they are—an explosive team that makes big plays and the defense, given all of the star power they have there, you imagine might eventually come around. And if that happens, then this might be a genuine Super Bowl contender. But for now, they're a fun up and down team, a bit like the Chargers last year. We'll see what they can go from here. But a big win for them just against the Chicago team, which is showing signs of life. And I think we can all be happy for. Next up then, LA Rams at Tampa Bay, two teams whose seasons are going very much in the wrong direction, but one of them may just have salvaged it while the other one may just be, have just been relegated to officially to the dumpster. 16 to 13 with a classic Tom Brady comeback to give the Bucks the win over the Rams. Brady, 280 yards and a touchdown. He pulled him back to the brink as he leads a 35-second winning TD drive after he had to because Scotty Miller dropped the earlier TD winning drive that he had put together. After he spent the entire fourth quarter pulling his team together, field goal, missed red zone opportunity as the run game went missing in action, 19 carries for only 50 yards. The Tampa Bay defense, which we've obviously talked talked about as being spectacularly good at the start of the season and fell very quickly. They were a little bit back here. They had four sacks, uh, eight tackles for loss, restricted the Rams just 200 yards. Did carry the load for most of the game as the Rams offense just looks completely broken. Matt Stafford, 165 yards and touchdown looked very meh, although he did avoid his trademark three pointless interceptions, but got absolutely zero help from the rushing game, 19 carries for 68 yards. Two teams, I think, with, with still the same old problems, but one team with a little bit of chink of light because the, the Bucks they come out of this game four and five, tied for their division and very much still alive in the playoffs, whereas the Rams are completely dead now. They're three and five. I think they're at least three games behind in their division. They're, they're at least two, if not three teams in their division that are probably better than them on the field this season, and they don't look like they have any answers uh, whatsoever. So let, let's begin. Let's let's get the good stuff out of the way first in terms of Tampa Bay. They they still have the same old issues. Their their wide receivers are dropping passes all over the place. Their O line looks completely banged up. They they look like a team which doesn't have an awful lot of answers on the offensive side. But what they do have is Tom Brady has finally turned up after nine weeks uh, of of uh, pining for his lost Giselle. He finally has found come back to his first real love, which is fourth quarter touchdown drives to win games. Uh, rolling back the years with one, a classic drive uh, to push things forward. And obviously, this can be the start of something really interesting for the Bucks because, you know, we can imagine them, you can get scenario them solving some problems and getting back to some sort of competent 10-7 and 7 type record and, and becoming a little bit of a threat in the playoffs as Tom Brady teams always are. So that there's hope for the Bucks. It's starting to come together. The defense, obviously, not quite where we'd want it, but it's starting to, to come together. Their rush defense it still looks uh, the better part uh, of that equation, but it's starting to come together. For the Rams, though, it's all over the place, and it's very hard to see how this problem is going to be solved. So, firstly, the same old problems again. Reliance on Cooper Cup. Uh, they basically were, did nothing outside of, th- of the throwing game to keep Cooper Cup. Their O-line looks like a complete mess that isn't going to stop anything. The team just looks like a tired and out of uh, out of ideas. And there are huge issues with the defense, any part of defense that is not Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. It's gotten so bad that Jalen Ramsey is now mouthing off in press conferences afterwards about the uh, incompetence of the offense. He was like, what do we have to do on the defensive side to, to actually win a game if you're going to keep throwing uh, these problems at us? The offense had nine whole first downs in the entire game, which is just absolutely 
disastrous. The problem with the Rams is that this is a win-now team, which means if they're not winning now, what the hell is the point of this team? Because we're seeing the consequences. This team has got huge cap issues, huge contract issues coming down the line. It's going to be incredibly difficult for them to rebuild if this isn't working. But they've got a bunch of players now over the age of 30. Stafford is 35 and looks like he's had his one good season, his one good moment in the sun, and he's now regressing back to, to Lions era, uh, Matt Stafford. And it feels like this team has got a huge bunch of problems piling one on top of the other that don't necessarily have any solutions. If I'm Sean McVay, I'm beginning to think about what my other options are. Can I call up someone in the in the media to get myself a, a Fox commentating job or is there some other head coaching job I can quickly jump into because this team is going nowhere and going nowhere quickly and it's not, a, it's not an easy problem to solve given all the various uh, issues that they have. They built their team around a lot of superstar players. Some of those players are just old. Some of those players aren't being fitted properly into the schemes. It's just not it's just not working on the Rams side. It's hard to see the solution. We saw the same thing about the books uh, last week. But it, man, if Tom Brady's back, it doesn't really matter because his entire team is built around Tom Brady being Tom Brady. And when he's not Tom Brady, the team looks absolutely awful. But when he is on fire, honestly, they could go on a run and you never know what might, what might happen. You see him on the sideline towards the end of this game. It's almost like Uma Thurman and Kill Bill, just like the red alarm <laughs> going on and off. And he's just like, I did not give up everything not to win games. And he's just like, I will win this game. I will win it twice. I will win it in 35 seconds. This pathetic defense does not respect me and I will just absolutely knife them in the gut, the soft coverage, and I will do it again and again. And, you know, I don't need a run game. I don't need a defensive line. Uh, you know, I don't care. I'm just going to fucking win this game. And yeah, as you say, if Brady is back to being Brady, then the Tampa Bay obviously have a chance. And in the NFC side, like I think this probably for me puts them back to being favorites. Atlanta, I, you know, whatever. Yeah. As for the Rams, like just in terms of the future, like obviously Aaron Donald talked about in the offseason about retiring. Matt Stafford's getting up with Aaron Age and dealing with injuries year on year. Bobby Wagner's there. Jalen Ramsey's the kind of guy who might retire early. And I think there are reports that Sean McVay will probably uh, is reported to maybe retire from this team once that kind of core uh, is gone from the team. So yeah, this is a team that could very quickly go from, you know, a hero to zero. But like, look, they got the ring. So I suppose in the end, people in retrospect to consider it worth it but right now the product of putting on the field is uh, not particularly interesting to watch but i mean it's interesting i think in the sense that this is the consequences right that you when you build a win now team i mean and in a way both these teams are win now team the bucks are also built as a win now team is when that doesn't work there's just no answers whatsoever and you begin to look at the chasm of how the hell do you rebuild this franchise when literally every single piece of it is broken and we don't know how to put it all back together yeah. so and shout out to Vita Vey on the Tampa Bay defense. He's part a major reason why this was close enough for Brady to be able to do his magic at the end. And moving on now to our last game before the jump off, Minnesota Vikings at the Washington Commanders. 20-17, to the Vikings win yet another game with a last-minute field goal. I mean, it feels like the last two seasons have just been Vikings uh, kicking last-minute field goals to win. Given Go their on. history, they're probably happy to be making them, at least. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's 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 uh, better to be on the right side of that particular equation. That's for damn sure. Minnesota escaped with the win after overcoming fourth-quarter 10-point deficit. Uh, as Kirk Cousins, who, uh, whatever, he is who he is, 265 yards, two touchdown interception, finally re- remembers that he Justin Jefferson is a receiver for him uh, and starts throwing him to again. Jefferson has 125 yards and a touchdown, getting a touchdown on the very first drive and a big p- pass interference call for a, f- a field goal late. 
uh, after they fell apart in the mid-game uh, again. I mean, the Vikings got a Vike. I mean, we're going to do charge, got a charge, and Falcons got a Falcon, and Vikings are also got a Vike. On the other side, I mean, I was kind of impressed by Taylor Heineke. I mean, he's he's flawed, and he's not going to win you any Super Bowls, but he's fun quarterback to have. A lot more fun to watching him than watching Carson Wentz, that's for damn sure. He had 149 yards, two touchdowns interception. He was worked hard by the Minnesota defense, but he kept them in the game until an interception late on kind of killed the Washington momentum, allowed the Minnesota comeback. Washington defense, which is getting a little bit better week by week and, and beginning to rebuild that reputation they had from two years ago. Here they had an interception, two, two sacks and 13 tackles for a loss. Unfortunately, they, they blinked at the worst time and allowed the Vikings in. I mean, I, re- I only watched this on Red Zone, uh, Ronan, so I have to admit, but I really... If this is how the Vikings have gotten to seven and one or whatever it is, it's, I mean, it just, it's just, they're just on the biggest lucky streak ever. Cause this was a game. I really felt that they had lost this game and somehow they managed to find a way to win. Yeah, I can almost imagine you on the sideline, like Donald Sutherland's character in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, just pointing the finger and in a high-pitched screech going, fraud! (laughs) And yet, they get away with it. And Kirk Cousins, you know, he doesn't just get away with it. He gets on the plane, puts on everyone's chains and does the uh, shirtless dance for everyone. So, like, look, Minnesota, given the history of this franchise and the pain of what they've gone through in so many historic moments, they get some of the rub of the green. Maybe they deserve it. And I I don't blame them for enjoying it while it lasts. But yes, this is another in the series of games we can call, how do Minnesota keep winning? Partially it's because their opponents are often equally uh, sloppy and undisciplined. And in this case, that was certainly true of Washington as well. But partially just because Minnesota are a more talented team than these teams that they're winning usually. They have Justin Jefferson, they have Dalvin Cook, and like Dalvin Cook was mostly kept in check this game, but he got the really important and you know quite impressive catch for a running back in the end zone towards the end of this game that kind of see like got them uh, you know back in and got them in the position to win this game really. Yes, it's worrying that pretty much every single game is they start hot, they have like a good first like Kevin O'Connell kind of seems like uh, like Sean McVay and similar coaches where he has really good like first or two drives, but then they have a mid like game swoon where Kirk Cousins looks a bit lost and he turns the ball over occasionally but then towards the end of the game when things get clutched then you know they're actually still at least finding stuff then and they're putting the pressure back on and you know like when the pressure's on they seem to be finding solutions not perfect solutions but sufficiently good solutions we'll say and in this game you know Kirk finds Jefferson for the big drive early on finds Cook for the touchdown later on and you know sets up the winning field goal and like to be fair like Washington basically got a free like touchdown in this drive because Curtis Samuel that was helped by the refs basically what should have been a interception turned into a touchdown for Curtis Samuel so you know you could say that the look had favored Washington earlier on so maybe the look comes back around and it all circle of life and all that kind of stuff as for Washington like look like I think Heineke I've talked about and he reminds me a lot of Ryan Fitzpatrick just kind of a guy who's more than happy to sling it out there and see what happens and that's at least fun to see unlike uh, you know Carson Wentz who's just stupid and inaccurate most of the time and it's just yeah I think the buzz is going there I think they were selling see like their season ticket things in stadium had Heiler Heineke on me so I think you can see the direction of play uh, for the quarterback position going forward for this team. But like, look, they got a free touchdown effectively. They were helped by Minnesota having a mid-game swoon, and the defense at least and the defense at least is stepping up. They had 13 tackles for a loss. That's pretty impressive overall. But this is a team that's sloppy. They, like Heineken's interception at a key point in the in late in this game was really what turned this game around, and let the Vikings back in, and the defense wasn't able to get it done late on. A big PI call for Justin Jefferson was key uh, in one of those field goal drives. So yeah, like look, Washington, like they're I think they're four and five. So I think given where you might have thought they would be early on the season, that's actually. 
actually not too bad, but in NFC East with so many teams above 500, mightn't be good enough to be really playoff relevant, but it's better than expected, but it's still sloppy, right? So, you know, I think for Washington, I don't know where this is going in the long run, but for now, at least it's watchable. For Minnesota, you know, you know they, they'll, they'll, they'll take what they can and keep getting these wins. And look, they've already won the NFC North, basically, so they already have one home game. Maybe they can be the Tennessee Titans of this year and somehow magic their way to a number one seed. I mean, it's crazy that they've got a four and a half game lead in their division. It, it's something else. So now, before we, we hand over to everyone's favorite part of the podcast, the dump off, I do want to give a shout out to Aaron Rodgers, for managing to score nine whole points against the worst defense in football. Uh, you can't blame your wide receivers when you're the guy throwing incredibly terrible red zone interceptions, Aaron. This one, I mean, really, I have some issues with the guy, and I did Schadenfreude was pretty strong on this one. So uh, the, the, this next beer is for you, Aaron. Yeah, so this is the dump off this week. And Sean, you just lack imagination because Aaron Rodgers didn't blame his receivers. He blamed his running backs because he had the rush in this game. So then it's like, well, obviously it was the running backs' fault that we lost this game. Never underestimate the capacity for Aaron Rodgers to find someone else to blame. I'm sure he'll be blaming Pfizer next week uh, for whatever happens. But yeah, look, I think we can officially bury Green Bay. They're not going to win their division. It's the NFC, so they always have a slight chance of the playoffs as well as the wild card. But I don't see it right now. They just look moribund. Um, they failed on the final drive here in pretty much the same fashion they had here. I think a missed call to Sammy Watkins. Three interceptions for, for Aaron Rodgers. Two in the red zone early on this game. One near the red zone later on in the game. And just they were dumb mistakes. He hit someone's helmet. He just didn't see a guy. And he just he just was bad. Like he had lots of yards. Well, a relatively large amount of yards. Like nearly 300 yards. But was just bad in key moments. He was missing deep balls consistently. And yes, the wide receivers aren't the best in the world. But if you're a two-time MVP... If you're like like you know you're supposed to elevate guys and right now he doesn't look like a guy who wants to elevate people he looks like a guy who wants to bury people on his own team so just overall bad and look like Aaron lost Aaron Jones early in this game to the run game had a bit of an excuse but AJ Dillon hasn't done much and the offensive line has been an issue but like you can find reasons but Rogers feels like the rotten core of what was used to be a, a powerhouse as for Detroit, like, look, they were a little bit lucky to win this game, to be fair. If you get uh, three, basically, red zone interceptions, you, you probably have a little bit of the rub of the green. Goff had two inter- two touchdowns. He had interception as well. He was okay. He's been pretty bad recently, but he was okay here. Green Bay's defense is solid, so, you know, whatever. I think Swift, he had a brief cameo in this game. He had one particularly nice catch. I'd like to see more Swift. I know he's hurt, but the more Swift is in this game, the more exciting Detroit Lions are, and it can really complement the solid running from Williams and Amon Ross and Brian getting healthier each week is, you know, starting to make his contribution. So, look, the D was better here because it got turnovers, but I think in terms of yardage, I don't think this has been turned around. I think Detroit to be continually involved in shootouts or blowouts against them going forward. Uh, but hey, they got their Super Bowl win effectively here, and Dan Campbell at least got to be happy for once. We can all enjoy that. Next up, Vegas at Jacksonville, 20-27. to Hey, it's the Raiders. They're blowing a lead. Who's seen this before? Uh, yes, I think this is their third uh, time doing this this year, blowing a 17-point lead or plus. And, you know, why did they do it? Well, basically, they just stopped playing in the second half. Like, Carr was lightning in the first half. Adams had nearly 150 yards, two touchdowns. They basically were dominating this defense, blow coverages and stuff like that. Uh, but then Adams had literally zero yards in the second half. And Jacobs was held under 100 yards in a game which, obviously, 70 points ahead. You think, oh, the run game's been pretty effective this year. Let's grind the clock out. Yet they cannot do that. And the Jacksonville defense just clamped down on them. They had seven tackles for a loss here to go with two sacks. So they were dominating here in the second half. As for, like, the Jacksonville offense, 
obviously quite quiet early on, but Lawrence, he was he was tidy, he had a fumble unfortunately early on, but he was tidy and accurate in the second half, that's what you want to see. They weren't particularly adventurous, he was mostly throws Christian Kirk across the middle, but that's enough because you have Travis Etienne, he's looking brilliant ever since they traded away James Robinson, 136 yards, two touchdowns, he's such an explosive player, although he's a little bit of fumbleitis, that I think you can build an offense that way, and hopefully as Trevor Lawrence gets his confidence back, although I felt we've talked about this already, maybe they can then build this into him into being the guy that he was expected to be when taking number one overall. They get a win, they get over the London loss, and they move on. Five Vegas are just frauds. They're like the most fraudy frauds of all time. Next up, Seattle at Arizona, 31 to 21. A late surge of efficiency from the Seattle uh, offense. Three touchdowns in their final three drives, if you ignore the, 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 the needle down on the final drive. Allows them to get a win over Arizona, who were as sloppy as ever. Like Kyler had a fumble towards the end of the first half, where it looked like they could get some points. That's kind of indicative of the kind of season that they're having. They have mistakes and blown calls and fumbles and flags. And they're just, like they, they're getting delay of game flags and false start flags at home. Too, too often to be kind of... And like D-Hop got a touchdown earlier here, but otherwise was kept quiet by a Seattle defense, which is been growing in respect for Seattle defense here, particularly the uh, the young defensive backs, everything impressive, uh, who I'm going to start calling the baby boomers after the, the Legion of Boom. As for Seattle offense, like Geno Smith had a bad pick six here on a screen, but and he had some near picks. But the big thing for Geno Smith is that he doesn't look like a player who collapses in themselves. You know, the, the haters... Uh, they keep riding him off, but he, he doesn't keep riding back. Um, he just gets back out there, he plays his game, and he scores touchdowns after those mistakes, and was the reason why they had increased efficiency towards this game, alongside Kenneth Walker growing in and getting 129 touchdowns, most of that in the fourth quarter. When they were ahead in this game, they ground out long drives, got touchdowns, and made this a non-contest. So, fair play to Seattle, a big win. Uh, that basically, I think, buries Arizona for playoff consideration, in my opinion. Next up, Philly at Houston, Thursday Night Football, 29-17. Pretty, you know, the first half was pretty spared from Houston. It was 17 17 at the half, but the difference in quality eventually showed. Like, Hertz had 260 yards and two touchdowns. He had a fumble early on, but that was fine. Goddard was the main uh, participant here in the pass game, 100 yards of touchdowns, and Sanders was effective running the ball. It was just, like, I think there's jinks in the Philly armor, but against a team like Houston, I think you never think that they'd be doing enough to actually take advantage of it, uh, even though the Houston defense showed some life here. As for Houston's offense, Pierce is really the the, the only thing they have an offense we're talking about. The guy he breaks tackles at a ferocious rate, just bounces off tacklers all the time. It's really fun to see. Mills at least had two touchdowns here, but he had two picks as well. So that's better, I think, than the kind of do-nothing performances he's had recently. But look, he doesn't have wide receivers here. Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks were both out. I think Brandon Cooks after being annoyed about not getting traded. But look, against the Philly defense, which is really dominant right now, and Jalen Hargrave had a particularly impressive game here with Trink Zach. You know, it could have been gone worse, I suppose. Uh, but Philly are a better team and they win deservedly there. Next up, Monday Night Football, Baltimore at New Orleans, 27-13. Another kind of win for a better team, let's be honest here. Baltimore just got up early. They were like um, uh, well up at the half. Uh, and uh, they basically just kept New Orleans at arm's length after that. Lamar did his work mostly in the first half, 103 yards and touchdown, 81 yards rushing on top of that, uh, before Kenyon Drake kind of just took over and ground out the game. He had two touchdowns in, in this game. I think one was early on, but uh, most of his best work was done in the second half here. Baltimore defense did a really good job of stifling this Dalton-led offense. Uh, an interception, four sacks, five tackles were lost, around 250 yards allowed. Dalton... Yeah, like, look, he gets the ball to Kamara a little bit. He had 62 yards, but overall, they just didn't have any yardage here until they had an 8 or 3 yard touchdown drive at the end to kind of boost the numbers a bit. But Dalton overall looked lost. I think they'll probably stick with him for another little while, but don't be surprised if Jameis Winston or maybe even Jameson Hill start getting QB reps um, more often or are brought in in future games. 
Next up, Carolina Cincinnati, 21-42, a comprehensive beatdown. Don't be uh, fooled by the score. This was 35-0 uh, at the half, and it was just an annihilation by Cincinnati, and mostly done by Joe Mixon. 213 yards and five touchdowns. All of the memes about playing as Joe Mixon in fantasy were very well well deserved. And the Carolina defense just did nothing, basically. Joe Burrow obviously had 200 yards and two touchdowns. He didn't have to do anything, really. So that's good to see, because I think he's not getting sacked. On the other hand, PJ Walker was so bad, 15 total yards and two two interceptions in the first half that they pulled him for Baker Mayfield. Now they say they're going to play him uh, PJ Walker again next week, but this, it wasn't good. Let's just say it wasn't good. Uh, Baker got some nice garbage production, 155 yards, two touchdowns against soft coverage. But we've seen that before with Baker Mayfield. Uh, I, I wouldn't get too excited. But you know, with Sam Darnold apparently back now and healthy, Baker Mayfield doing well in the second half, and PJ Walker blowing up uh, the least. Uh, fun quarterback controversy of all time is going ahead. That was a good call, Colin and Sean. We're, talk we're talking to our uh, preseason predictions in a few weeks, I imagine, uh, and you'll probably be looking pretty smart in that one, at least in terms of QB Just for that one, though, the rest were pretty bad. Finally, Indianapolis at New England, 3 to 26. Hammering of Indianapolis by New England, sufficient to get Frank Reich fired, basically. Indianapolis looked pathetic. Bill Belichick destroys another young QB. They had nine sacks, an interception out of Erlinger. They allowed less than 200 yards. And three more sacks for the uh, leading Judon, who I think might be on record pace, albeit with seven, a 17 game proviso. But, like, look, Erlinger just was lost. 140 yards in the interception. The run game did nothing. 15 rushes for 35. So, basically, Belichick's defense won this game. Mac Jones showed up, scored a touchdown. Stevenson was okay, but the offense basically didn't have to even get out of first gear in this game. So, I think New England have had a lot of games like this uh, this year. Uh, there are bigger tests ahead, I believe, to board the back end of their schedule, but. Hey, you getting wins like this, you're about 500. That keeps you relevant in the playoff hunt. Uh, so that's a dump off for week nine. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Roland. And now we'll move on to the games from next week. So starting off uh, with another cracker on Thursday Night Football. Somebody needs to put Al Michaels on suicide watch because it's Atlanta Falcons at the Carolina Panthers. The Chaos Bowl rematch. Uh, we've gone for Atlanta across the board, but who knows who's going to win uh, this game whatsoever. Big questions here are... Who will Carolina attempt to field at quarterback? I mean, if, if P.J. Walker is still in contention, that is that is something else. I mean, I thought Baker put in some good, solid garbage time, you know, productivity there. He, he deserves a chance. but He also did in really bad early in the season. Well, yeah, obviously he's not good when there's pressure or anything like that <laughs> on. But <laughs> yeah, so obviously Carolina are not a good team. Are still, you know, still can cause a team like the Indelta Falcons difficulties. We know, the, we know the Falcons are not exactly the most talented team in the world. And with Marcus Mariota as your quarterback, you're not going anywhere. But the, they maximize what they have and... What they and they do seem to know how to win these games, especially against fellow NFC South teams. So you got to edge them here. But I mean, it's going to be I mean, it's going to be messy probably, and it's going to be tight. Like this game a couple of weeks ago, and these kind of weird two week gaps are kind of weird. But uh, like it was just a ridiculous game. Then the fourth quarter turned into a back and forth battle. Obviously, the big uh, controversies: Carolina losing twice with missed uh, kicks. So yeah, Carolina's quarterback position. They're saying PJ Walker right now, but by the time you listen to this, I wouldn't be surprised if they've announced. Every quarterback starting at the same time and some kind of superposition of quarterback, a really bad superposition, but uh, it is what it is. And look, I think Atlanta, we know what they are. They're solid. They run the ball well. Caroline's defense was obviously just beaten up by Joe Mixon. Uh, that's probably bad phrasing to be honest. Atlanta, you know, they have an identity. Mariota's pretty meh, but at least... You know, he can do it against bad defenses. The Atlanta defense isn't great, but against Carolina offense, I think they will keep it at least, you know, less than 25 or 30, whatever like that. So 
I'll give it to Atlanta, but like, look, either way, that this game could go anyway. Like to be honest, and uh, it's still sadly relevant, so we need to talk about it. But both these teams are not good. Whoever is in charge of the Thursday night football scheduling, I mean, that person should have been fired many weeks ago. Moving on to Sunday, then we'll start with the the Munich game. Uh, the super early game, Seattle Seahawks at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When we heard about this game, we thought this is going to be the Bucks blowing the crap out of the Seahawks. Now we're thinking about Geno Magic against the, the Moribund Buccaneers. Uh, myself and Connor have gone for Seattle, but Fizzle does not believe in the Geno hype, and he is gone for Tampa Bay. Ronan, this is your game of the week. No, this is one of my classic bitch, uh, moving all the happiness factors together, maximizing <laughs> the utils. So even if Seattle loses, at least they get a plus one in the, in the uh, predictions. QB battle, Gino versus Brady. Gino, both, you know, either current MVP uh, high people or former MVP high people. And yeah, like Gino Smith has been playing really well this year. He's been uh, playing really effectively, getting touchdowns to Lockett and DK Metcalf. And I think the big thing, as I said, in terms of last week was that when he's making mistakes, he's not just turning into Gino and the Jets in terms of like throwing interceptions and fumbling the ball. He looks confident that, look, I know what the system is. I know what I'm doing. I hear the play call. I understand it. And I'm just going to get the ball into the hands of the people who make the most sense in terms of maximizing our production. And he's a guy who's getting it to obviously the two wide receivers, but they're getting a lot of production from their kind of trio of, of tight ends Noah Fant getting production in nearly 100 yards that week but also getting production from Will Disley and Colby Parkinson and obviously Kenneth Walker K9 as he likes to be known is getting yards particularly in those tough yards towards the end of the game we need to grind it out and keep a lead Seattle just look really good I think the big thing for me overall because the excited for Seattle actually is um, the defense it's really grown week on week Eugenia Nuosu has been a great free agent uh, signing Shelby Harris has been really good obviously part of that trade for Russell Wilson so the defensive line is getting going linebackers are playing better each week but the defensive backs like you know you have Tariq Woolen that's a guy who's getting a bunch of interceptions you have Kobe Bryant not to be confused with the other Kobe Bryant who's getting a bunch of uh, forced fumbles he's like Peanut Tillman out there and even Michael Jackson um, which I just like saying his name because it's hilarious, is making solid contributions week on week and they're getting solid play from the safeties despite um, losing Jamal Adams. So that defense is really interesting and is holding things here. But now they potentially face one of the greatest challenges that you can have uh, in terms of scheme. You're facing Tom Brady. And, you know, the big question here is, is Tom Brady back? It was only... Well, really two drives. It was really three drives, but they had a field goal drive before that. Despite all the issues they have, they basically have no run game. The interior of their line is a mess. Mike Evans is hurt every single week. Godwin doesn't look quite back to his best. And then they're getting drops from the secondary guys like Scotty Miller and Julio Jones is kind of around, I suppose. So there's not much going for him. But of course, he didn't really have much going for him much of the time when he played for New England. And we know that when Brady is at his best, he just elevates everyone. He is the GOAT. Once he's back in rhythm, and he looked to be getting that rhythm back towards the end of the game last week, he is unstoppable because he is three-step back, quick pass, three-step back, uh, three-step back, pass. It's basically impossible to defend that. So it'll be really interesting to see if Seattle can keep that offense uh, on the down low if Brady is back to his best. I think in particular, there was some soft tackling by uh, Kobe Bryant in particular and the back end of that defense. So you could see someone like Mike Evans or even Chris Godwin get a big play and get yards after the catch here if this Seattle defense doesn't get their tackling technique right. So for me, really important there to see how effectively uh, Brady is back to being Brady. Like I just I just got a, I got a vibe a bit like 
towards the end of like like towards the end of the year to win the Super Bowl. That is a team that can click, and if it's clicking, it can go very far. We know that. As for their defense, I said Vita Vey played really well last week. The run defense is still a bit of an issue. It'll be interesting to see they had to stack up against Kenneth Walker there. Overall, I think this I think the defense it, it's been a disappointment, but they held the Rams to 13 points. We'll see if they can build on that and get back to being the defense. There's so much talent on that defense when you have uh, the linebackers, Levante David, you have Vita Vea, you have a secondary that's grown together over the last four or five years. So they should be better than they are. And against the Seattle offense, which is a big challenge, it'll be interesting how they fill up. But like these are two teams coming all the way across the Atlantic. They're playing early, way off their clock. Seattle obviously particularly so, coming from the, from, the, uh, uh, from the Pacific coast. So I'm really excited to see this. I think this is a really great game to get to Munich for the first ever game in NFL game in Germany. And I hope it'll be like this could turn into a tense chess match. That could definitely happen. But I wanted to see these two quarterbacks go at it and see the epic quarterback battle that we all expected uh, before the season of Geno Smith versus Tom Brady. Truly a battle of the QB Titans. Well, I mean, it is. Yeah, you've got you've got two MVP candidates there. I do agree. It'll be interesting. I think it'll almost be interesting in terms of what the defense do. Obviously, you've got this this up and coming Seattle defense facing. Uh, a Tampa Bay offense that, you know, doesn't quite click, but does, have, as you say, have Tom Brady. It'd be interesting to see how that dynamic goes. Now, on the other side, you've got a Tampa Bay defense that on paper is scary if it hasn't quite lived up to itself, up against the Seattle offense, which has clicked more than anyone thought it would this season, and probably won their first big challenge that this the Seahawks are going to face. So I think it's going to be going to tell us an awful lot about these teams, depending on how those two particular battles uh, fare out, where the Bucks are back and can go on a run. Because I agree with you. I mean, their their Super Bowl winning season was just, they just turned up in week 11 and just went on a run that never stopped. Bucks are not dead by any stretch of imagination, and who knows what the Seahawks ceiling is. So definitely a good game uh, for sure. Moving into the early window now, we start with an NFC North battle, the, the Lions uh, at the Bears. I mean, at the start of the season, we probably thought this would be a pretty grim game, and now we get to week nine, and suddenly it's an interesting game between two teams with a lot of potential. Obviously, the, the Lions have been everyone's kind of darling a little bit, although defensively all over the place um, until last week. Ha-ha, Aaron Rodgers. And their offense is up and down, to say the least. They've got a lot of exciting players in, in Amon Ra and Swift, but maybe don't necessarily have the complete package to get things done on a consistent basis. Whereas Chicago looked pretty awful for the start of the season, but have suddenly found offensively where, where things can click. Justin Fields is, is destroying defenses now, and long may it continue. So you've got a situation where this could be quite a high-scoring game because you've got two potentially good offenses against two defenses that maybe aren't quite what the NFL needs in, require, in terms uh, of the defenses. In terms of the picks, uh, I've gone with my heart and decided to stick with the Detroit Lions to the bitter end, uh, whereas Connor and Fizzle have decided to go for the head and go over this surging Ch- Chicago Bears team to pick up another win, which I think puts them pretty close to 500 if they keep winning, which is uh, an interesting place to be. Next up then, perhaps a little bit less of an exciting game, the, the super exciting Denver Broncos against the slightly more slightly more solid uh, Tennessee Titans. We've gone for the Titans across the board, Roman. Yeah, like there's a version of this game that's at least somewhat relevant. Like Russell Wilson looked better in the like second half of that game in London. Maybe he's getting back to form. I can start finding Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and the offense at least looks tenable, uh, watchable to some extent. Uh, Tennessee might get Ryan Tannehill back and not be completely over-reliant on Derrick Henry to do everything for them. But I think given the quality of both these defences, albeit Denver uh, have obviously traded away Bradley Chubb, I do think this will probably be a low-scoring game. I think Tennessee have shown a better capacity to win games and they don't make many mistakes. Even with Malik Willis in there, they've tended to keep that 
uh, things close to their chest. And I think Vrabel overall is certainly, you know, three, four, five times the coach that we have in Hackett so far in his career, albeit early days. Look, I think for Denver, the big thing is a measuring stick game. If they could just play solid and not, like, embarrass themselves, which they've done far too often this season, they could take heart from that. And against a Tennessee team that just doesn't really score that many points too often, they definitely have a chance, but like Tennessee are the quality team, the better coach team, so I think give them the advantage at home here. Next up is my pick of the week, and someone needs to check if hell is frozen over because I picked a Minnesota Vikings game. But luckily I've picked it because of the team that they're playing. It's the Vikings at the Buffalo Bills. We've gone for the Bills across the board. This is basically a fraud bowl. We will finally get to expose which of these teams is not up to much. I mean, I think it's finally when we we see what quality the Vikings really have. Because the Bills, notwithstanding their two sloppy losses, and obviously there are a lot of question marks now over their you know their ability to stand up in tough games to the bitter end and, and to hold on and have that championship mentality. But this Bills team is probably, uh, I mean... Need, it needs to be understood as being the most talented team in the NFL on both sides of the ball. They're scary good when they're at their absolute peak. They will be out for revenge. They'll be out to build, you know, overcome their last week's defeat. And, and coming off that loss, they'll be angry and they'll be hungry and they'll, they want to get that win. So the question then is, can the Vikings match that? And we know the Vikings have a lot of very interesting pieces. Their skill positions, Cook and Jefferson and such like, even Hawkinson, the, the new addition. I mean, I think it, they've got a lot of exciting things going on the offense. But as I've said many times, there are huge question marks over this Vikings team. The, the Kirk Cousins thing, I mean, the problem here is Kirk Cousins in a battle against a playoff bound team he's not very good under the lights is is our friend uh, Kirk and and you have to wonder if he's going to be able to stand up to it also I have some severe questions about the quality of their defense as to whether they are deserving uh, of the status that this team has in terms of their 7-1 record and you wonder if Josh Allen albeit if he's healthy or not will do some damage uh, there and obviously there's there's some relationship in terms of the Stefan Diggs thing and then they there may be a little bit of, of knowledge going back and forth in terms of that so it could be interesting to see because I think this season has been so strange that we're not really quite sure who's good and who's bad other than we have an inkling that the Bills and the Chiefs and the Eagles are pretty good and other teams are all frauds and yet we go into this game where the Vikings have a better record than the Bills and, and it's perhaps time to set that straight so I think the Bills are going to win this and probably win this comfortably but if the Bills don't turn up their A game I mean the Vikings have a have a habit of hanging around in games as we've been talking about and they, if this game goes down close in the fourth quarter I mean I wouldn't count out the Vikings squeaking a win at all vibes are good around Minnesota right enjoying themselves Kirk Cousins is having fun like I think Minnesota the vibes are right I think it makes a big difference in the Mike Zimmer era I think it's a talented enough team that they can certainly not be dismissed here and obviously in offense we're talking about Justin Jefferson we're talking about Dalvin Cook TJ Hawkinson looked pretty good even in week one so that's good to see and their offensive line is never going to be the best in the league but it's a you know average to above average unit and that's sufficient with the talent that they have around them I think the defense has been definitely outplaying maybe the level of talent that they have like they have a lot of guys who are kind of filling guys in previous years but they're doing fine because uh, area smith's having a good year the edge rusher position harrison smith's having a good job at the safety position so it, i think it i think the defense is working well enough for them that they could get to josh allen they can make some trouble for them but yeah i think buffalo we've seen enough of them this year outside of their in division losses their offense is usually going to get production i think you know they'll try to get that explosive element uh, to gabe davis where they'll really challenge patrick peterson and cameron dantzler to see if they can keep him in check and stefan diggs will obviously get fed um as you imagine i think if they can run the ball that would really help them in this game it's something that i think you know with singletary hasn't quite worked out maybe a little bit more james cook is needed um he looked he had a few 
runs there, but they give you a little bit of the, I suppose, Dalvin Cook vibes, I suppose, it's, it's his brother. But I think Buffalo, you know, class over form, I suppose, here is what we're going for. But, like, if Minnesota win this game, even in a stupid way, which is probably the most likely they win, I suppose we will have to give them some respect. But we don't want to live in that world, so uh, Buffalo for the win. <laughs> we definitely do not want to live in that world. Next up, uh, Houston Texans at the New York Giants. We've gone for Giants across the board. Battle of the running backs, Ronan. Yeah, run the damn ball, Bowl. Uh, we always have one each week, and this week, this, this this week it's Saquon Barkley versus Damian Pierce. Obviously, I think in terms of everything else, the Giants are a more talented team, or at least are playing up to a higher talent this season. Daniel Jones is having a solid season, especially with his legs. Uh, we'll see if he can add to the Saquon weaponry. And the defense is playing quite well in, in year one under the new coordinator, so uh, Wink Martindale. So I think the Giants overall have been solid this year. They have a winning record. As for Houston, Davis Mills is bad. Uh, the defense is sometimes okay, but it's off bad. And I think the Giants can grind this one out and get it done, uh, even if Pierce does, even even if Pierce outgains Saquon. They just don't have anything else going on. Next up, Jacksonville at Kansas City. We've gone for Kansas City across the board. It's getting my hopes up time again. The Jags have finally won another game, and there's a talk of them bouncing back and getting together. That they've they've looked good at times this year. They've really looked like there's something coming together. But I I feel maybe that I, my read on the Jags versus the Jets was the wrong way around. I thought the Jags were ready now, and I thought the Jets would be ready in a year's time. But it turns out the Jets are ready now, and the Jags might need another year of development especially I think Trevor Lawrence he's he's up and down he doesn't have a, a consistency yet we've seen flashes of what he's capable of or if not necessarily even then living up to to the absolute hype that was that was getting into him but he just has has too many games where he's unreliable and you feel that a Kansas City defense that is well coached will, will try and find ways to make life uncomfortable for him on the other side, I mean, the Chiefs are a very interesting side offensively. They lose Tyreek Hill and they've been struggling to find a way to, to figure out how things are working, but they start to now. Juju Smith suits have been to fill in certain parts of that role. They're not necessarily quite as dynamic as they were under, under Hill, but they're, they're still finding ways to win. And Pat Mahomes is still probably the best quarterback in the league right now. So, I mean, the Chiefs look like a more complete team and they certainly seem to be evolving into a much higher form of life than the Jags. For the Jags, it maybe is a time to, to consider this season to be another development year and maybe next year will be the year that they come good next up playoff relevant game in the AFC the Cleveland Browns who are still very much alive especially considering the the Sean Watson show which is only a number of weeks away at this stage going to the Miami Dolphins we've gone for Miami across the board um, we've got obviously Cleveland. It's a you know solid run game behind Chubb and Hunt is the main thing. They they don't have much going on in the passing game with, with Jacoby Brissett and their defense hasn't quite lived up to the what it was for these past two seasons, being to fall off a bit. Versus a, a very interesting Miami offense. Obviously the jury is still a little bit out on Tua, but he's got two incredible wide receivers around him that can do uh, massively uh, exciting things. Uh, and they maybe don't have a defense that is that is clicking in all directions quite yet, but. But when they get things done on the offensive side, it can be hard to, to catch them. So the battle here, I guess, is between that the solidity of that Cleveland run, that, that keeping the scoreboard ticking over, versus what the Dolphins are capable in terms of the explosiveness of Hill and Waddle. And the general consensus we think, Roland, is, is that the, the explosiveness will win out here. Miami have been a better team this year. I think the record reflects that. I think for Cleveland, this is a huge game. Obviously, they're two games out from the playoffs. If they lose this, they'll probably be three games out from the playoffs. Obviously, hoping to hang on just about till they get Deshaun Watson back in a few weeks. But look, we know what Cleveland's offensive plan is. to run Nick Chubb down the throat of the Miami defense. And overall, the Miami defense has not been great at stopping the run. Uh, obviously, Justin Fields is a slightly different weapon than... Uh, 
uh, Nick Chubb, but I would imagine they'll be able to get yards there and kind of hopefully run the clock and keep this a game control uh, type of shot. Uh, but like Miami, they're explosive, right? Like, and I don't think teams have respected them enough. I think Tyreek Hill is just the kind of guy who it's nearly impossible to stop. But even if you do stop him, that probably means that you're leaving Jalen Waddle free for a touchdown or for a long gain uh, for the Waddle Waddle dance. So it's definitely a situation where Miami are a more explosive team. I don't really rate their defense. So for me, the big thing here is the Cleveland defense, you know, before the bye, they absolutely shut down the Cincinnati offense, which we know is issues with the offensive line and stuff like that. So if Cleveland's defense is back to the best with guys getting healthy uh, again, like Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett, they definitely have a chance. But I think Miami are a better team. They deserve to be. And let's be honest, we don't really want Cleveland to win. So uh, uh, definitely Miami <laughs> across the board. Yeah, yeah. The, the forces of darkness need to be uh, defeated. Next up to close out the early window, New Orleans, uh, Pittsburgh. We've gone for the Saints across the board it's a it's a sad day for the nfl when andy Dal- and six years past his prime andy dalton is the most exciting quarterback in a game yeah like just a kind of not not much to say about this obviously pittsburgh's offense has been pretty much missing in action for the entire season Najee harris is turning into trent richardson uh pickett has not had a good game so far despite having a pretty good wide receiver set you can blame the offensive line you can't the defense isn't the same with tj watt still missing and so overall they're pretty pretty hapless right now I think fortunately for them, they're at least playing a team in New Orleans who aren't particularly looking better. They've had spike weeks, which looked okay, but the, the, the Dalton to Kamara connection is not going to be that great against most teams. Against Pittsburgh, it may be enough. And Olave is making some good contributions to wide receiver position. If they get some guys healthy, like Jarvis Landry, maybe New Orleans can get this I think, uh, going more. But I think we just don't like Pittsburgh at all right now, which is why we're picking New Orleans. But neither of these teams are particularly enjoyable to watch right now. I think Pittsburgh certainly have a chance given the coaching that they have. Yeah, it feels like a game is going to be buried on red zone and they're only going to show uh, the touchdowns and such like. Moving into the late window on a game that at the start of the season was probably quite hyped, but now looks like they're still pretty trying. one-sided. <laughs> well, no, I mean, there's two big fan bases, so no doubt there's a, there's a lot of ad money going into this one. But Cowboys at the Packers, gone for Cowboys across the board, largely because, I mean, they're just a better team on both sides of the ball these days. The defense, obviously, is the big story in the Cowboys this season. That they, they got them over the Dak injury hump, and now things are, are, are working back well. They, they're probably an AFC contender. Obviously, also Mike McCarthy revenge game, his chance to take revenge on those that team that helped him win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Um, far beyond his talent level. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. In terms of the Packers, obviously, I mean, if we want to talk about Last Chance Saloon and we want to talk about teams, I mean, the Packers are probably already dead, but certainly if they lose this one, they are going to be well out of contention. And we've talked about the struggles they've had on the offensive side. I mean, it's not just the receivers. Aaron Rodgers has started to look out of sorts themselves. I mean, some pretty horrible throws in that Lions game. And he doesn't look like he has the answers himself. Uh, and even the offense, the defense, which was hyped a little bit at the start of the season, hasn't really turned up at all. So on paper, I mean, this is a game where the Cowboys should be comfortable. But you would wonder maybe if this is Aaron Rodgers trying to find his last, you know, his last, his last revenge before he goes quiet, because it's going to be a pretty big TV audience and got an awful lot to prove. And Aaron Rodgers with a chip on his shoulder is a dangerous place to be. But nonetheless, I think we, to be safe, we should go for the Cowboys. Next up. Definite last chance saloon. Two three-win teams in the NFC West, the Arizona Cardinals and the LA Rams. We've gone for the Cardinals across the board, largely because we just don't believe in the Rams, I think. It's it's a general consensus that it's fallen apart offensively. They don't seem to have any solutions except throw the ball to Cooper Cup and hope for the best. Their running game is non-existent. Their O-line 
is in bits on the defensive side. They just don't seem to have any coherence. And the game strategy of any team playing them is just throw to this. the member of the secondary who is not called Jalen Ramsey and you will, you will have much success. Even though Arizona are chaotic and even though there's not an awful lot going on in terms of structure or, or defensive solidity, we still think Arizona are good enough to win this one, Ronan? The big thing with Arizona is at least you see embers of, of them taking a run if they could just stop hitting themselves in the face repeatedly with the mistakes and the, the turnovers and the flags. And they're just they're just a sloppy, sloppy, sloppy team. So similar to Denver earlier this year, if they could just stop being so sloppy and just get their heads in the game, then I think they could be a somewhat relevant team. Whereas the Rams just look sad right now. They just don't look like they have any answers. They're playing with Stafford, who looks hurt, doesn't look like himself, is throwing a lot of interceptions. They can't run the ball at all behind a poor offensive line. And Cooper Cup's the only thing that works on the offense. Their defense is good, so that gives them a decent chance here. I wouldn't consider this to be more than, say, a 60-40 in favor of Arizona. And, of course, if, if Jalen Ramsey is following Randy Andre Hopkins, we can see if Kyler Murray's able to get guys like Rondale Moore and Zach Ertz more involved to kind of make up the slack. They got James Conner last week. He looked okay, but I think they can run the ball better than the Rams, certainly. Um, so that gives them an advantage there. So, yeah, I think the, 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 for me, why I'm favoring the Cardinals, probably actually it's the defense has been surprisingly good. I think that... If they're even enough with the Rams on the defensive side, the offensive side is just, it's at least passable for Arizona, whereas for the Rams, it's just completely lost. But still, still two disappointing teams, and at least one of them will be properly eliminated from contention when they lose this game. Closing out the late window then, talking about disappointing teams, the Indianapolis Colts at the Vegas Raiders, another uh, factory of sadness bowl. Bad, bad game. Not good. Good, not good at all. (laughs) Indianapolis, Jeff Saturday, better? Probably not. Vegas blow a lead. Probably not against Indianapolis, but we'll see. But these two teams are just sad and bad. But I think like Vegas, at least they've occasionally looked somewhat interesting this year when they get Devontae Adams and or Josh Jacobs going. Indianapolis, just just sad. No no more needs to be said. Moving then on to the primetime games, uh, Sunday Night Football. The Chargers at the 49ers. A lot of interesting things going on here. Obviously, the Chargers have flattered to deceive this season. They look really good at their very best, but they got a little bit hurt by injuries and they've, they're only slowly starting to put it back together now. But that said, they only kind of squeezed, they only squeezed over the, the not quite all that talented Atlanta Falcons. So there's excitement in terms of Herbert. And, you know, sometimes you wonder if he's got to do it alone, although Austin Eckler does some exciting things. But on the other side of the ball, you've got a San Francisco team that I think is is really starting to look quite interesting. I think I, Christian McCaffrey is the missing link for this team. He's, he brings it all together. He allows them to finally not have to focus at all on the quarterback because now they've got we've got between him and Debo Samuel, the playmakers are all in the skilled positions, and all Jimmy G has to do is is just not screw up which uh, he is capable of doing uh, from time to time. So, I mean, for me, I think this is this is the Niners should win this, and it might be an interesting game to, to kind of to watch if the 49ers are clicking together. Because obviously the first CMC game was exciting, but they now will have had, uh, you know, another two weeks to work together. So it could be interesting to see what kind of plays that, that they come up with on the offensive side. Niners look exciting team, and they're at home, and they should they probably beat a Chargers team that isn't quite living up to the hype. What we saw last week, Justin Herbert made the big plays when it mattered, but obviously he's in a highly depleted offense. Keenan Allen had a setback before the bye, probably isn't coming back. Mike Williams is out for another while. So you're relying on DeAndre Carter and Josh Palmer and Gerald Everett to make up the slack alongside Dawson Eckler, who Fair has really, really been exciting um, since week two. Where we- so like they have the elements there to be an exciting offense, but it just hasn't quite come together into what we've seen in previous years where they have looked actually just 
amazing fun balls let's get excited about the charger type of thing and their defense unfortunately has reverted to form where the run defense is absolutely atrocious and therefore you you have to be worried that this is cmc he got the the three-way touchdown a few weeks before the bye with the the throwing touchdown and the passing touchdown and the rushing okay. touchdown like he just looked dominant he looked like cmc and he looked like this was where he should always have been debo samuel was probably back in this game george kittle's been making plays recently as is brandon Ayuk. so the the san francisco offense which is just the point guard jimmy g getting it to the guys who make plays seems to make sense i think this could build into being a genuine contender in the nfc and i think it'll be a good ding dong battle between them and the seahawks in terms of the nfc west so i think you have to favor san francisco for now but like it's the chargers they can always show any given week and do something stupid and win a game that they don't deserve to win or just blow out a team but San Francisco are the form team and the team I think we're more excited to see going forward yeah I mean the Chargers they do they do tend to turn up for a primetime game so it will be interesting to see if they do and rounding off then Monday Night Football NFC East no longer the NFC Least it's no longer now NFC games that we're slightly lo- <laughs> it's now games we're slightly looking forward to here Washington Commanders 4-5 and five going to the, the unbeaten Philadelphia Eagles We've gone for the Eagles across the board because we can trust them more. This is a team that, you know, I, I admit that I, I said that they wouldn't be all that great and they've turned out to be much better than anyone expected them to be. Jalen Hurts has fit into his role. A.J. Brown is, is looking like a superstar. They've got a defense that is doing lots of interesting things as well. They look quite good, albeit maybe there's some chinks that are being developed in the, in the armor. They struggled with the Texans maybe a little bit more than they should have. But, I mean, at home, with the momentum, I think the Eagles should probably still win this one. On the Washington side, the real question is Taylor Heineke. Obviously, he's a very exciting player who does exciting things, and that means he also throws a lot of interceptions or or ends up doing stupid things. And be interesting to see which version of him turns up for this. He, it's prime time, so he's going to be trying to do exciting things. And the other question then is this defense, which has obviously been has spent the last three years in various stages of hype, has looked at sometimes quite exciting, at other times quite awful. It's, I think, starting to come together again, although not quite as good as people thought. So it'll be an interesting test to see how they how they act against this Eagles offense. So it should be a good game, but certainly I think the Eagles probably have too much in the end. For me, the big thing to see here is if the Eagles offense, how it does against this Washington defense, like the Washington defense for most of the game last week, shut down the Vikings. As I said, 13 tackles for loss. That's pretty impressive against anyone. So if they can clamp down on Miles Sanders and, and maybe Ken K. Will Gibbs in there, then that's one thing they have to do. And then if they can keep like, Jalen Hurts in the pocket and force him to be a pocket passer, that's the next thing that they need to do. And then we can see if their defensive backs can hold up against A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. Like A.J. Brown's having a great year. He just He's a beast, both in terms of yards after the catch, but I think I'd be particularly impressed this year with his ability to make contested catches. So I think that gives them that element that they were looking for last year, which means that they can win those type of games even with the defense kind of clamps them in and forces them to play a more traditional game and look with Jalen Hurts he's having a great year obviously a favor for the MVP right now so you would expect on average he should do well I think you did see last week like a 17-7 against the Houston Texans a terrible team that there maybe are chinks in the armor they, they didn't really comprehensively Arizona a few weeks ago so I don't think they've been you know unbeaten Patriots in the regular season their own like type of team uh, like dominating everyone but they've been good and against the Washington team that it has been better than expected. The offense, just every once in a while, you know Heineke's going to throw up a contested ball. And this uh, defensive backfield with the veterans um, like Darius Slay and Bradbury has been pretty 
uh, opportunistic. So I can expect that Philly can get a few turnovers. They can keep churning it out in the offense and then get this done. But I think this will be a, a closer game than some people might imagine based on the uh, respective records and on the respective reputation these teams have. I think Washington, they're not a good team, but I think they're a solid team. And I think they can, I think they have the weapons they need on both sides of the ball to be somewhat of a challenge for this Philly team. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles maybe give off a little bit of vibes to me of that 11-0 Steelers team from a few years ago where just they're winning games largely because their the schedule is a little bit weak and you'd wonder how they would fare at the top end. But Washington aren't the top end, so they should be comfortable here. So that's it uh, for this week. Uh, obviously, uh, the big news in terms of the pod is, is Munich and the hope is to do some sort of broadcast uh, from there, uh, which Connor will be back from. Apart from that, anything else going on? No, not really. Uh, just kind of getting leveled up, uh, getting my craft work uh, singles ready and <laughs> <laughs> my, my later housing and, uh, you know, my uh, sausages and stuff like that. But yeah, looking really looking forward to Munich. Uh, we'll see if we can snag some golden tickets. Um, it'll probably be pretty difficult considering the, the love that was shown by uh, the, the NFL community in Europe. Uh, for the game in terms of how quickly it sold out. Regardless whether we're in, in the stadium or not, I imagine the atmosphere will be electric and it's exciting to see the NFL continue to expand on this side of the pond. Good. So that's it for this week of all four quarters. It's bye from me. Bye from one. Bye. That's all from us. Thank you.